You gonna kill me now, Snake? I'm too tired. Maybe later. I've got another deal for you. I want you to think it over while you're resting. I want to give you a job. We'd make one hell of a team, Snake. The name's Pliskin. Welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews. You can read there anytime. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. Don't forget, while you're there, I do encourage you to check out the link to my other podcast. It's called the Quipster Film Review Podcast, where I cover movies that are current to the movie theaters or new to streaming. Check that out at Quipster.net. Today we're going to finish off the three-part series looking at dystopian futures, specifically related to certain big cities in this world. We already looked at the Los Angeles and the Tokyo of 2019 with Blade Runner and Akira. Today we're going to go to a future, 1997 at least as envisioned from the year 1981. It is called Escape from New York, if you're a John Carpenter fan or just a fan of Really cool action movies from the 1980s. You definitely know this one. As I mentioned, John Carpenter, he's the writer, he's the director. Nick Castle contributes to the screenplay. Kurt Russell is the main star. Lee Van Cleef, Harry Dean Stanton, Isaac Hayes, Donald Pleasance, Ernest Borgnine, Adrian Barbeau, and Tom Atkins fill out some of the supporting cast. It's an R-rated film. It does have strong violence, brief nudity, and some language. The runtime is an hour and 31 minutes. Now, Escape from New York, as I mentioned, it's set in 1997, at least as envisioned from the vantage point of the early 1980s. This is a time in the future. The crime rate has skyrocketed out of control. The island of Manhattan has been turned into an ultra-maximum security prison where the worst of the worst violent criminals are put to live in a state of walled-in anarchy. There's a potential global crisis emerging, and that's when Air Force One, carrying the president, is attacked and it forces the president of the United States to escape into an escape pod and crash land on Manhattan Island. And that's where he's immediately taken in and held hostage by the criminals there, led by this vicious warlord named The Duke, played by Isaac Hayes. As these criminals are going to kill the president, if any cop sets foot on the premises, the government recruits the eyepatch-wearing Snake Plissken, played by Kurt Russell. Plissken is a former military hero turned criminal. He felt betrayed by his country, who has recently been sentenced to Manhattan Island. And he gets recruited here in exchange not only for his freedom, but due to a bomb that's implanted inside him that's set to detonate in mere hours, Plissken has less than 24 hours to get the president out alive so that he can get some critical information delivered in time for an important political conference that might save the planet from a very dark destiny. That's the main setup. Of course, the rest of it is pure action, thriller, suspense, sci-fi, etc. John Carpenter here, co-writing and directing. He also composed the music for this film as he did a lot of his early material. This is a cult action classic today. It's one of John Carpenter's best-known and best-loved films. It's a pretty large-scale film. It's shot, though, for a relatively small budget, about $7 million. That still would be the largest budget in John Carpenter's career to that point, but still under what a futuristic action-adventure might usually need. 
even at this stage of big screen budgets. That low budget would leave John Carpenter having to make do with whatever resources were at his disposal to bring this futuristic vision to life. Carpenter here working with screenwriter Nick Castle, keeping the tone ominous, the environs stylishly dystopian, but also keeping the repartee flowing with a modicum of wit, maintaining the film's entertainment value throughout, even with some of the moments of expository dialogue. The events of the film are all set on the same day. John Carpenter's film benefits from being set in the sleek look of night, which adds to this nightmarish quality of a Manhattan run amok. The night scenes also keep the authenticity of the picture. Most of it had been shot not in New York, not in Manhattan or anything like that, but in parts of St. Louis. There are a couple of external shots that were done in New York, specifically Liberty Island, but the bulk of it set in St. Louis or East St. Louis because of its rundown areas, some of which had suffered from a recent fire. There was a lot of trash around, abandoned vehicles, lots of litter, and a lot of emptiness within parts of downtown that made shooting there easier to close off the roads and make it very authentic as an entire city that was run completely by criminals. Although it seems kind of a natural choice today, John Carpenter was really taking a chance on casting Kurt Russell as the star of this big action vehicle. This actually was the actor's first foray into playing an action hero. Before this, Kurt Russell had been mostly known for comedies or live-action Disney flicks, so this was definitely a departure for the already established actor. Carpenter had been impressed with Kurt Russell because of their first collaboration, a 1979 biopic made for television called Elvis. And then after this, of course, he used him again in several of his other best films, The Thing and Big Trouble in Little China, and that further cemented Kurt Russell's role as a macho movie hero. Kurt Russell here claims Escape from New York is his favorite of all his movies, and Snake Plissken is his favorite character. And that may be partially because he actually put a lot of his own ideas into his character. He decided to channel his inner Clint Eastwood. He was basing his performance on some of the westerns that Clint was known for, and that made it kind of easy considering that Clint made a couple of movies, very notable movies, opposite Lee Van Cleef. Russell even came up with the idea of giving Pliskin an eye patch, and a lot of his iconic look in this film is Russell's. Given how effective Kurt Russell here is, it's pretty amazing to think how different the film would have been had the studio prevailed in nixing his casting. They actually didn't want him there. John Carpenter had to really fight for Russell to take the lead. They felt they needed somebody more macho. Well-known actor. Some of the names out there, Charles Bronson was one of them. He was deemed too old by John Carpenter at that time. Tommy Lee Jones was another one that they were making a big push for. Jeff Bridges, I think, was made an offer, but he turned it down. Chuck Norris also was another one that came up. Kurt Russell, though, is so good, it's hard to imagine somebody else doing a better job. He's surrounded here by a high-quality cast of supporting character actors. Lee Van Cleef, Ernest Borgline... Donald Pleasance, the soul singer Isaac Hayes, Harry Dean Stanton, and Carpenter's then-wife, Adrian Barbeau. They add a lot of their own personality to this film and make it very fun. Now, even with its wide scope that is made here on a modest budget, this film was actually supposed to be even wider. There was an opening heist at the U.S. Federal Reserve sequence that was filmed. That sequence features Snake actually getting captured. Test audiences, though, did not care for the length of this sequence, and they actually questioned its need to be in the film at all. After that sequence, they expected a completely different kind of film. So it was nixed because it confused the audience, and there was the added benefit of keeping Snake Plissken's persona a little bit more mysterious, kind of like those man-with-no-name westerns that Clint Eastwood starred in that he was channeling. And that works better, I think, for the story overall. 
If you're interested in seeing that scene, it's included as a deleted scene for some versions of the home video special editions. I think somebody captured it and put it up on YouTube as well, so you can check it out there. It's a little under nine minutes. Now, in its stead were the opening narration and the written prologue that explained the setting for the events to come. Test audiences without that kind of grew bored because they didn't have a vested interest in the setup or know where things were going. Once they added that opening narration and that prologue, they actually were much more on board. So that stayed. And by the way, Jamie Lee Curtis provides the voice of the narration. The inspiration for Escape from New York came from John Carpenter's visit to New York sometime in the early 1970s, where he would witness some of the most rundown and seedy of areas, pretty much run at that time by the criminal element, not really very many cops to be found. He would begin writing this draft of an idea for a screenplay in the mid-1970s. It was a cynical byproduct of the disillusionment in the government and the president after Watergate. But due to the expense of these ideas, and without having the clout at that time to see it come to life at that point, John Carpenter ended up shelving it. He dusted it off sometime later. He was working on a screenplay back in 1984, an adaptation of the Philadelphia Experiment for Avco Embassy Pictures. Unfortunately, John Carpenter ended up encountering difficulty in completing his script for the Philadelphia Experiment, so he suggested to Avco that he could instead work on a screenplay that he had in his pocket for Escape from New York. Avco had been willing to greenlight this dormant script. They thought it was a great idea, and they had him work on that instead. As it was kind of a rough draft, Carpenter ended up enlisting the services of his good friend Nick Castle. Castle also being a filmmaker coming up at the time, and together they worked on this rewrite to get it up to stuff. Now, as with other John Carpenter penned works, the underlying commentary on the borough of Manhattan, where business and commerce and Wall Street collide, that's being now run by bloodthirsty criminals. That falls in line with a lot of his films in terms of underlying political commentary. They Live, which came out later in the 1990s, also suggests that this country is in danger of being taken over by the yuppie elements. The president here in this film held hostage to the realm of corporate interests, the people of Manhattan, who make him bow in submission to their demands. Snake, as an entity, recalls the United States flag, the Gadsden flag, featuring the image of a rattlesnake emblazoned with the motto, Don't Tread on Me, which is often used as a symbol of Americans who disagree with the government. Pliskin, of course, can be seen as a substitute, the embodiment of John Carpenter himself, who is a man who wants to believe in the country and his government, but who has been let down by the greed and the corruption of the power that currently occupies the leadership positions. There was a time that he was willing to fight for and perhaps even willing to die for the ideals the country once represented, but the country has begun its ascent into fascism, and Snake can only believe in himself as one of the sole remaining carriers of those American ideals. Political subtext notwithstanding, what viewers love about Escape from New York, and pretty much any John Carpenter flick, is its inherent B-movie sensibility. Interestingly, Escape from New York spawned many more B-movies because of its cult success than it actually borrowed from, and it still remains one of the most influential films in the anti-hero subgenre of action flicks. 2004's District 13, 2012's Lockout, 2014's The Purge Anarchy, all of those are among the more notable recent efforts that can be seen as having similar premises carried out within the context of 
another sci-fi universe. And if you're a video game fan, of course, the entire Metal Gear Solid line of video games can be seen as a major homage, including its eyepatch-wearing lead character of Solid Snake. Now, Escape from New York would end up being a successful film. It earned roughly $25 million in its box office run. It was propelled mostly by favorable reviews at that time. And although it was a success, the sequel would not actually come about until 15 years later with Escape from L.A. that reunited Kurt Russell with John Carpenter. Critics at the time roasted it. They thought it was just way too goofy and not in keeping with the style or the quality of the first film. So it ended up not making much more than the first film, despite a much higher budget. Because of a perceived lack of interest, they proposed third film in the Pliskin trilogy called Escape from Earth. That would end up being scrapped, and Carpenter ended up using that screenplay that he wrote for that storyline into a new film that he ended up releasing in 2001 as Ghosts of Mars. Over the years, there have been several attempts to try to remake the film, including efforts that would star the likes of Gerard Butler or Jeremy Renner or Josh Brolin or Tom Hardy at various points as Snake Plissken. Lee Wannell just recently has talked this year in 2019 about a reboot. All of these have ended up in development hell that not even Snake Plissken could rescue them out from. So I'm not sure where or when you're going to see this property get rebooted. I suppose at some point it's such a good enough idea and has enough of a following that it would be nice to see it come out at some point. But for right now, we still have the original film to enjoy, and it does stand up to multiple viewings. So for all of that, I'm going to give Escape from New York three and a half stars out of four. Three and a half stars on my scale means that I do think that this is a good film. If you're a fan of any of the genre of films, science fiction, action, thrillers, certainly you're going to get your mileage out of Escape from New York. It is a great time and just an easy watch, a really fun cast and a really cool premise. It's a simple premise, but it does work. So three and a half stars out of four for Escape from New York. As far as what I'm going to be covering next week, we're going to shift a little bit, still with a dystopian future, but it's going to kick off a trilogy of films all within the same universe. I'm going to kick off the next trilogy of Mad Max films with the original Mad Max from 1979 for my next episode. If you haven't seen that in a while, I do encourage you to check that out because we're going to get into those Mad Max films for the next three episodes of Around the World in 80s Movies. And if you have any ideas about where to go once we get through the Mad Max films, I do encourage you to write to me. Let me know what you think. You can find my contact information at my website along with all of those reviews and links to where to find me at quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. Until next time, thanks everyone for joining me on this trip around the world in 80s movies. Thank you.